Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Mashallah, mashallah. Welcome to Swiss Cast. It's great to be with you guys. As always, alhamdulillah, and I appreciate the reviews and the likes. Please continue to do so. That's very helpful, mashallah. Barakallahu feekum. I hope you guys are doing awesome. So subhanallah, you know, as, as Islam continues to kind of evolve uh, in, in the West, where I live primarily, um, we see kind of this slow interaction between like the public square and Islam. Like when I converted to Islam, I would say Islam, except in in the older like black American communities, was largely something that was very private, even institutionally private. So I remember going and looking for a mosque in my city and actually finding the address but going and not able to find the actual like structure uh, to the point that I had to reach out to a professor at my college because he had a Muslim name and he told me, no, that's the building. We just don't have a sign. Like that's how like do not disturb oriented certain Muslim communities were in America at that time. And then of course you have the Oklahoma city bombing Although we had nothing to do with it, it propels Islam, the, the, the World Trade Center bombings in the early 90s, then the Oklahoma City bombing. And then you have 9-11 and Muslim community, in many ways, certain aspects of it are forced into uh, the public square. And what we've seen now is like the election of officials and people like taking on major responsibilities and roles and so on and so forth. But also we're finding at a at, at the base level, right? Let's let's not go thirty thousand feet up because we like to do that. At the basic level, um, people are struggling as they are like engaging outside of institutions. To the extent that I've seen, and this is going to sound um, really depressing, I've seen people that haven't been raised in the institutions of the American Muslim community, in particular who end up doing much more, even religiously, in the public square. There's a really important scene in uh, the Shawshank Redemption that I want you guys to listen to. Brooks ain't no bug. It's just, it's just institutionalized. The man's been in here 50 years, Hayward. 50 years. This is all he knows. In here, he's an important man. He's an educated man. Outside is nothing. Just a used up con with arthritis in both hands. Probably couldn't get a library card if you tried. You know what I'm trying to say? But I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. So as you recall, right, his concern is like the institutionalization of a person. And I, I, I'm not someone who sees myself outside of that criticism that I'm talking about. I'm very much part of the American Muslim community. I attend a mosque. I work in a Muslim center. So I, I consider myself part and parcel of my own reflection here. But I begin to wonder if our public expectations are really rooted in the investment of a grassroots strategy that is going to empower people not to be institutionalized in a way that simply in incubates them, 
but in, in a way that prepares them. And when we talk about preparation for public life, this is really the sunnah, right? The Prophet ﷺ begins in a cave, and then then go and warn your family. And then after that, there's the process. Oh, people, I am the messenger of Allah sent to all of you. So it begins at a private private setting. It moves to his family, and then from his family, he's then cast into the public scene. We see the Sahaba, the companions of the Prophet wasallam, who also start learning privately in Dar al-Arqam. And then over time, as they learn, and they have like improvement in their character and improvement in, in their knowledge and understanding, then they begin to slowly engage uh, the public until they are kuntum khayra ummatin linas, you know, sent to humanity, linas for the benefit of humanity. So I, I begin to wonder, have we really looked at religious education in a way that begins as a very private, personal matter? Most of us find God through some kind of private, very powerful, even oftentimes in our hearts, like spiritual energy that is married to some crisis or success in the physical world. And that gives us like enlightenment. And we see, subhanAllah, as Allah says, ahyayna, we bring people to life with faith. But then where do we go to then fall into kind of like a process of the acquisition of knowledge, the acquisition, the acquisition of the ability to work with other Muslims, al-ukhuwa wa suhba and so many other things, the, 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 the centrality of worship in our daily lives, the tarbiyah, right? The word tarbiyah is what I'm looking for. And I feel like that's something that we haven't thought about in a long time because we've been projected outwardly. So when we're projected outwardly and we're not prepared on the back end, we start to see people crumble. We start to see people waver. So what I want to just reflect on, and this is a book that I'm writing now for Swiss, and this is the second season um, in our series on theology, is called The Masses Creed, Aqidatul Awam, of the great scholar Imam Ahmed al-Marzuki from Al-Azhar. And I actually called it Aqidatul Awam towards a public theology. Like, are we going to think about educating ourselves in a private way that deals with conviction and doubts, ties our, our relationship to Allah, creates a sense of worship and intimacy with our creator, and then educate ourselves in a way that we can then be projected into the public sphere. So no matter where we are, right, as Yaqub said to his children, right, go into different doors. There are different ways to project our theology. It doesn't have to be, you know, Ya Yohannas, right? It doesn't have to be like Sheikh style. There's multiple styles. That's why Sidi Ahmed Zuruqi said, Ya Allah, it's very beautiful. He said, you know, different the different ways of the seekers are a mercy to the seekers. So we all may have different areas where we can think about how we exist in a public space, but we are doing it as Sayyidina Musa and Sayyidina Harun spoke truth to power in a public space. As Sayyidina Shu'aib, Right? He talks about economic justice. We see Sayyidina Yusuf in the prison. We see Yunus in the belly of a fish, man. We see the Prophet above the seven heavens. But in every one of these different places, whether it's public, private, religious, or otherwise, they are magnifying their Lord 
in a way which is bringing value to the people around them. It's just very important to think about. So then how do we train people not to simply be the kind of, you know, the monolithic sheikh definition, because that's not what everybody's going to do, but how do we think about allowing people to be inspired and empowered by the faith of Islam so that once they've been personally turned on and inspired, they are able then to engage the public sphere. That's not even in really our thinking, man. Like religious pedagogy doesn't even think about this in many ways. And you can you can attribute that to, of course, the bone-breaking secularism that's being pushed by Arab regimes in some Muslim countries. That is, you know, blaming Islam for the backwardness of society, where in fact it was the dictatorships and autocracy that's really rendered and Western imperialism and engagement, colonialism, you know, military engagement, political engagement, propping up dictators, right? That has contributed more. So I would argue that in many ways, the secular politic has kept Muslim societies far more backwards than than their, their religious, you know, mainstream religious leadership. No doubt you have some lunatics out there like ISIS and others, right? Terrorist organizations and groups. But the, the vital center of the Muslim community is one which is very creative, very inspiring, and, and really rooted in its, its call by God. So what I wanted to think about now is just like faith as a process. And I unpack this more in, in the book uh, that hopefully will be out in the next few months. It's not a huge text. It's a, it's a text for teaching, right? That challenges us to define what would an Islamic public theology look like. Because on the other end, we have people who may, in fact, claim to be representing Islam, but are, in fact, perhaps inadvertently uh, supporting values and ideas which are counter to the core values of our community. I don't I don't believe in blaming them for this. I believe in reaching out to them and talking to them and then giving an assessment of kind of their educational history. Oftentimes what I find is people are very passionate, but that passion isn't supported by education. You know, Mutanabi said, SubhanAllah, man. Mutanabi, this poet said, you know, to think before you're brave is two braveries, right? To think before passion. So oftentimes we find Muslims are the flame of passion pushes them for a while, but then the flame of passion burns them out. On the other end, we find people who may be really educated, but the education takes away the passion so we want that balance and that comes through i believe like a process of personal religious learning communal engagement and learning and then like i believe content providers because we have a lot of content providers now that may not really be religiously trained or even trained in in say counseling and life coaching you know there has to be some kind of communal accountability like there needs to be like residency for imams and shuk and teachers, right? So that you go through community, community sanctions you, and your rough edges, right, are kind of softened by the realities of community. So learning as a process that allows us to deal with our own individual needs so that we gain conviction, yaqeen, and then this allows us and inspires us then to reflect, if you will, the theological reflection into the world around us. As the Prophet ﷺ said to his Sahaba, Antumushuhada Allahi fil ard, you are the witnesses of God on the face of the earth. 
One of the problems I've seen with this is that people tend to think this only applies to new Muslims or kids. You know, one of the great travesties of a post-colonial society um, and one that's really been impacted by the flood of modernity is that we have regulated religious learning to children. I, I experienced this even when I was Christian as a young boy. My parents would take me to what's called Hebrew school. Uh, they would take me to Sunday mornings. They would take me to Bible studies, but they were kind of like their age absolved them from learning. Whereas, you know, the Sahaba, عنهم, even the elder Sahaba learned to the best of their ability, subhanAllah. I remember, man, once I came back from Egypt to California, I met this man, he was in his 80s, and he said to me, you know, do you think I can go to Egypt and learn Arabic? So I was like, Allahu Akbar. He was like, I just want to understand the Quran, even in his 80s, right? So this notion that religious education is for children, and then that allows us to kind of regulate religious teachers to simple, and this is not, to, I have a degree in early childhood education, so don't take this the wrong way, but in the mind of the person that has a bad assumption, oh, the sheikh is just for the kids. And then we complain that we don't have robust scholarship that addresses adult issues. Well, if adults aren't challenging and engaging that scholarship, the process won't happen. It's not a one-way street, right? Education is a two-way street, student and learner. So we see this kind of being addressed, you know, by people that this is for new Muslims or this is for kids, you know, and sometimes maybe they will invoke the hadith of Sayyidina Mu'adh, you know, you're going to the people of Yemen, these are Christians, people of the book, so and Jews, so call them to uh, shahada, you know, call them to bear witness, and if they do that, if they obey you, فَعَلِمْهُمْ أَنَّ اللَّهَ then teach them prayer and so on and so forth. But if we go to the Quran, we find that the process of constantly learning is there. And it takes people from individual moments, as I mentioned earlier, to ultimately if they are able to. And of course, we're not talking about being on TV and projecting ourselves in the public square. No, just like very simple things, man, volunteering at your PTA and getting involved. You know, I know some Palestinian sisters, mashallah, older ladies, what they did is they started like this cooking thing at a local library and they taught people how to make hummus. Man, people went crazy. But their character and their engagement with people, right, was a reflection of the beauty of Islam. Islam, we respect food. We don't waste food, right? So I'm not I'm not taking this to the the, the meta example. I'm, I'm talking about at a micro local level, things we can do very simply, right, to project our theology uh, in the public sphere. Um, and we find the process alluded to by the Sahaba. For example, Jundub ibn Abdullah, he said, You know, he said that we learn faith first and then we learn the Quran. That's why in a classical system, a person at Swiss, for example, we teach theology before tafsir because anyone can pick up the Quran and misinterpret it. The Quran is protected by God that does not mean that certain people are going to look at the Quran and, and not see something wrong. Right? The people of Dhulm, when they look at the Quran, their, their evil is increased. But the people of Believe, who see right, their faith is increased. So the same book, two different outcomes because one has guidance from God and then foundational lenses. One doesn't have that guidance and one also doesn't have foundational lenses. 
So there you go. So he's saying, فَتَعَلَّمْنَا iman. We learned about faith first. He said, you know, we learn faith first and then we learn Quran. Now, if we were to examine the process of education in the Muslim community, we'll see people learning differences. They learn this scholar's wrong, this scholar's wrong, the, the, the controversy around this ayah, this hadith, this group. And now you couple this with like political positions. No doubt we need to hold people responsible. That's not what I'm getting at. But are we learning first foundational religious structures before we're trying to engage social, political, economic particulars? That's a problem. That's a problem. So he says, فَتَعَلَّمْنَا الْإِيمَانَ قَبَلَ الْقُرْآنِ ثُمَّ تَعَلَّمْنَا الْقُرْآنَ فَاسْدَدْنَا بِهِ إِيمَانًا وَإِنَّكُمَ الْيَوْمَ تَعْلَمُونَ الْقُرْآنَ قَبَلَ الْإِيمَانِ And then he said to his students, and this is the time of the Salaf, you learn Qur'an before Iman. What would they say to us? What are we learning first? What is Suhaib learning first? فَإِنَّكَ الْيَوْمْ تَعْلَمَ فَورْتَنَيْتْ قَبَلَ الْإِيمَانِ أو فإنك اليوم تعلم أسعار على غابة أمازون قبل القرآن. You know you're learning this, you're learning this, you're learning this, you're learning this before إيمان. So what he's alluding to is the foundations, and that applies to all of us. So I want, as you're listening to me now, to stop and ask yourself, like, what have I learned that is giving me the lenses to project myself? into certain spaces, whether it's interfaith, MSA, that is allowing me to see this through the lens of faith? It's a very, very honest question. And people don't like the work's foundations. Again, regulating foundations to converts and children is a problem. Imam Sayyidina Shafi'i said that knowledge is constant engagement, constant engagement. Another outcome of that is that we see in the pedagogy of Islam within certain communities is that we begin the ahkam before the Quran so that we fiqh people out. We don't flip people out, we fiqh them out. So recently there was a woman who converted here in New York City. She took shahada, mashallah, uh, at the ICNYU. And she came to me one day, she was really upset. And she said like, I still don't know how to pray. This is a woman who's like in her middle ages, I'm assuming. So she, you know, she's not gonna learn with the same speed, say as a 19 to 20 year old buck, right? She's still young, man. So someone told her, and I, if I could find someone, every time I get this question, someone said, or, man, me and someone need to talk for real. But she said to me, someone told her that she is going to be 70,000 years distance under the hellfire because she doesn't know how to pray. This is like her first week into Islam, man. And then they began to chastise her for her dress code and her name and her culture and this and this and this. See, we have a benign form of idiocy in our community. And, and that's that, right? That's kind of a benign form, although it's impact can be cancerous. And then of course we have a cancerous form, which is like in Muslim cults on the right and the left. But the point is why would someone start her there? Because they don't understand the process. And I see that a lot with young, young kids and kids that come out of Islamic schools, that they are very, very thick based, but there's no sweetness, there's no halwa. You know what I mean? There's no halawa. To the, to, to, the, to the fiqh. So we look at the statement of Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned by Al-Bukhari that alludes to the process. She says, She said the first things that were sent were the mufassal and the mufassal are from the 49th chapter 
to the end of the Quran, according to the dominant opinion. And they're called the Mufassal because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dinahu fiha. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the details, the general details of the deen in a very profound, particular way in these chapters. So I encourage people in, in Swiss, for people that want to memorize the Quran, we actually start with the Mufassal and the tafsir word by word of the Mufassal and then the tafsir of the sentences of the Mufassal and then we get into the ahkam of the Mufassal and the Asbab and Nuzul and so on and so forth. That's in production right now. She said, because fiha dhikru jannati wa nar, because in them is the is is the details of heaven and hell. Hatta idha thaban nasa ila al-islami. And then once people became firm in their Islam, once they became strong in their Islam, nuzila al-halalu wal-haram. Then the ahkam came. Here's the process. And people sometimes falsely invoke the third verse of the Quran. A third verse of the fifth chapter of the Quran, You know that this day we have perfected and completed your religion. The religion is perfect, but people ain't perfect. So the religion, the perfection of the religion now is a constant goal that should be achieved through a very strategic, invested, nuanced process. And how do I judge a community is its investment in process not to the point now we see you know with the impeachment where process is used right to derail outcomes no there should be a clear outcome and a process that leads to it and and that's why subhanallah our acts of worship have shurut and asbab because each act of worship most of them except really dhikr has conditions Right, a process that leads to the culmination of the act. So, like salah, the time of salah, looking at the direction of the qibla, making wudu. If you think about this in greater detail, you'll find a lot of beautiful wisdoms in the process of worship. The process of worship. So, here, Sayyidah Aisha is saying, the first thing we learned about was faith. And then we learned about halal and haram. And then she says something, subhanAllah, and it, it's profound. She says, Walau nuzila awwara shay'in. La khamra, la khamra if the first thing that had been sent was like, don't drink, we would have never stopped drinking. And if, if the first thing that was sent was don't commit zina, we would have never we would have never been able to stop. So the process, right? The process taking people from from one place to another. And in order to, to, to have Islam as a process, right, that people achieve, I have to know people. I can't just throw things at people. So that's why Sayyidina Imamana Ahmed ibn Hanbal radiallahu anhu, when people ask him about what's the conditions of scholarship, he said what? He said, ma'rifatun nas. You got to know people. Listen to this beautiful statement of Ibn Abbas who says, Inna allaha ba'atha nabiyahu sallallahu alayhi wa sallama bi shahadati an la ilaha illallah. Right? 
فلما صدقوا به زادهم الجهاد ثم أكمل لهم دينهم فقال الله تعالى اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم So here we hear a process Faith, Salah, Zakah, Fasting, Hajj and then they were uh, permitted to engage in jihad So there's this process of people growing according to certain situations It wasn't just like a one-stop shop and then he invokes the verse uh, that I mentioned earlier We'll finish now with a few more quotes because I like to leave you with some things to think about uh, and feel free to engage uh, any way you can. Listen to the statement of Abdullah ibn Umar, who, you know, he's very young. You know, he shows up to some of the battles and the Prophet says, no, man, you're too young. He's still young. Prophet Sallallahu takes into consideration people. We can understand, we said earlier, knowing people, why there's so many different hadith. What's the best action? And each time the answer is different, O Messenger of Allah, what's the best action? The answer is different because people are different. People have different needs. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, لَقَدْ عِشْنَا بُرْحَةً مِنْ دَهْرِنَا He said, you know, we, we, we lived for a considerable amount of time. And he says, you know, at, at that time, one of us would, would first learn faith. قبل القرآن Before we learn the Quran. ثم تنزل سورة على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم And then, then the Quran was sin. فتعلمنا حلالها وحرامها وآمرها وزواجرها وما ينبغي أن يوقف عنده منها كما تعلمنا أنتم اليوم القرآن. So he said, you know, we we learned first faith before the Quran, and then these chapters were sent to the Prophet and then we learned about the permissible and the impermissible, its orders, its admonishments, and what it demanded a person, because they had faith in the Quran. So their faith in the Quran empower them to look to the Quran for these things. And then he said, but you al-yawm, kama ta'lamuna antum al-yawm al-Quran. So like now you guys, you learn the Quran in this way. Thumma laqad ra'ayt al-yawma rijalan. And he was talking to his students. He's like, this is the way that we're teaching you. He said, but then I also see men and people, yu'ta ahaduhum al-Qur'ana qabal al-Iman. They, they, they began with the Quran before faith. فَيَقْرَأُ مَا بَيْنَ فَاتِحَتِهِ إِلَىٰ خَاتِمَتِهِ مَا يَدْرِي مَا آمَرَهُ وَلَا زَاجِرَهُ وَلَا مَا يَنْبَغِي أَنْ يَقِفَ عِنْدَهُ مِنْهُ And he said, and that person who learns the Qur'an, and we can say this for many other things, without learning the foundational principles of faith, right, and having an appreciation for what faith means in my relationship with the Qur'an, because if I don't have yaqeen in God, I will have struggled to have yaqeen in Qur'an and in Sunnah. That's what he's getting at. And that's why scholars, it's important to understand that there were certain books of Aqidah written for arguments. Unfortunately, most of those have been translated into English. What's rare is to find those books written Aqidah that inspire people to live a purpose-driven life and to find faith in their lives. That's a disaster, man. So you give people who are like new to a faith things to argue about. Imam Subki said, all my students succeeded except those who learned arguments first. 
right? So we have books of Jidal. We have a great history of polemics and engagement in our community. Um, but Jidal is not necessarily what everyone needs. Some people just need to know God and find God and believe in God and grow in that faith until they're able to project that into the Quran, into their lives. So if I don't have the faith needed to project on the Quran that allows me to benefit from the Quran, as Abdullah bin Umar is talking about, what about the public square? What about politics? What about entertainment? What about being an influencer? What about being an athlete? What about being a sheikh or an imam? That's not coupled with faith in Allah. Subhanallah, man. So Abdullah bin Umar's statement is profound. He says, and he said that person will read the entire Quran and have no idea from the beginning Fatiha to its end, its commands, its prohibitions, and what it's asking him to be cautious with. He said thus the impact of the Quran on that person is as though it doesn't exist. So we should all take some steps back and, and think about what the Sahaba used to say, Ijlis bin Anu'min Sa'ah. Right, let's dedicate a little time to Iman. Most people are like, how do you do that? We don't have even a language for that. So go like to your Imams and your Mashaykh, mashallah, and ask them, listen, I just want to learn Iman. I don't learn about this group. I don't want to learn about that group. I don't want to get caught up in, in, in the attempt by foreign regimes as well as, you know, Western intelligence agencies, right, to cloud the process of finding Allah. Because a believer has a lot of enemies, man. That's just how it is. Because a believer is emancipated from being a slave to dunya. And nothing scares people like a, someone who's emancipated from dunya. Sidi Ahmed Zarouq, he mentions priorities when he says, Giving priority to what's really important over what's secondarily important is the way of the true seekers in everything they do. So what do we talk about today? You know, it's kind of a rant. But that is that, you know, the book that I'm working on, an explanation, Jala'ul Afham Fi Sharh Aqidat Al Awam, is explanation of this book, Aqidat Al Awam, the Masses Creed towards a public theology, and the process of thinking about pedagogically how do we build people's iman and then build a relationship with the Quran and faith that then allows them, and, and, and religious practices, and then allows them to take on the world. What we're doing now is we're ignoring that process. And we're expecting people to take on the world. And passion in taking on the world can only last so long. So what I think we should really begin to talk about, and I do some consulting for Islamic schools across the country, and I've, I've learned from them also criticisms that I've been infinite from, is how do we really think about creating a process-based curriculum that has deliverables and measurables that also engage the particular needs of learners no matter what situation they're in, and then this empowers them to continue to grow. And if they choose, not everybody wants to, to engage publicly within their own sphere, they'll be ready for that. Inshallah. Barakallahu feekum. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.